Um, we have been uh, following these words of Jesus um, tucked away in Matthew chapter 5. And we've um, put this under the umbrella of the word manifesto. And as I've been listening to the words of Jesus here, re-listening to his mandate, his manifesto, I can't help but think, I wish I'd been there. I wish I'd been there. I wish I'd been there as he shared this. I wish I'd been there for the chat afterwards. You know, the post-match chat analysis, the conversations as you walk home, the chat over the next uh, meal. Like, what do you think he meant by that? What do you, what do you think he was trying to say there? I wish I'd been there for that. And yet, in the same breath, I am struck by the privilege of time. And we get to live in a time when many, many fellow followers of Jesus have over decades got to chew over this manifesto. We live in a time where some of the magnificence of this has been realized by the church of God. And that maybe, just maybe, gives me, gives you a little more courage to live it to attempt to live it because this message scares me a little because it is so intensely insightful it gets right to the core of being human and yet I wonder why I'm surprised at this why am I surprised that the creator knows his created so let's unpack this a little this morning and I purposely use the words a little 30 minutes cannot do justice to the explosive nature of this And so I want to throw out a few seeds and ask that you would consider them, prayerfully engage with my words this this evening as I speak, prayerfully respond and then talk, talk on your way home over your Sunday night supper, chew over these words of Jesus and take some little steps in the days and weeks and months ahead. I'm not going to do an exegesis of this passage, I will touch on a little and just a little in the context in which it was written. But this evening, if you like, I want us to lift the bonnet and look at what's beneath these words. If you've been around church, then you know this passage. You'll have heard this section of Matthew 5 countless times. And if you haven't, well, the idea of loving your enemies, well, this isn't the first time you'll have heard it. But let's be honest, the truth, the depth of these verses, we haven't, I haven't been very good at living it. And for many of us here or listening to this, we are trying to follow Jesus. We are. Yet we still aren't very good at living out these verses. They tackle what we do when we face disagreements with each other. And we all know too often that that happens. We disagree. Sometimes low level, sometimes more formally, sometimes across an entire nation. So today I'd like to push into what's beneath these words and ask you to join with me in chewing them over. Listen now, yes, but will you talk about this on your way home? Will you talk about this over supper tonight? And talk not about what I say, but talk about what this means. So to help this, I'm going to give away any punchline right now. And the two questions that I want you to chew over are, what value do you place on yourself? and on other people. What value do you place on yourself and other people? And by people, I mean humankind. And the second question, what do you fear? And that's a toughie, so be ready to chew over that one long and hard. You know, we take time over many things in our life. We take time over helping our little one balance so they can stand. 
We take time helping them to wander around the living room, holding on to things as they go, so eventually they'll take a few steps. We take time. We want to be healthier, so we take time to exercise or we plan different meals. We want to build a relationship with someone, so we take time. We take time to be with them. We take time over things in our life. So today I'm asking, will you join with me? Will you take time thinking about this part of Jesus' manifesto? Will you chew it over? Will you talk about it on the way home? Will you talk about it over supper tonight? Will you carry these two questions around this week and maybe next week and the week after? Can we try and get to what is beneath this manifesto that Jesus is calling us to, calling the world to? What value do you place on yourself and other people? What do you fear? Let me pray and and then we'll dive in and look at the passage. God, when we gather here on a Sunday afternoon evening, it's really good to see each other. Um, uh, But God, we thirst for you. And so we simply say, will you come and be part of our thinking this evening? Help me to speak with clarity that these ideas I've been churning over will make sense. But I also got to ask that you would sow in us a little bit of courage to try and think this out and live this out. Thank you. Thank you for calling us to something more. Amen. Let me read the passage that we have in front of you. This part of Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 48. Ten explosive verses. You've heard that it said eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, then turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you, then take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from anyone who wants to borrow from you. You've heard uh, that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to shine on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as our Heavenly Father is perfect. If I take that last section and just read it to you as it says in the message. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives towards you. I want to look at this passage in two parts. Um, Part one sets a tone and I think part two then dives into some tough questions of us. So let's allow part one to set a tone that's phenomenal. Part one is that first part of the verses, uh, verses uh, 28 to 42. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other. Someone wants your shirt, give them your coat. Someone forces you one mile, go two. The tone of this is phenomenal. But more than that, this first part is about dignity. 
how do you see yourself? What do you think of you? Let, let me put this into a scenario to explore more. When someone challenges you, how do you react? When someone intimidates you, how do you react? When someone acts unjustly, how do you react? Or maybe more specifically, what is your response to power? Because this section is getting at the root of power games and Jesus is calling us to a different fight. I am Captain Justify. I justify all the time. He was annoying. She was driving too slowly. They said they would and they didn't. I justify my reactions all the time. I justify them mostly in my head and in my head I am the loudest voice. So when Buddy is driving down the Newtonhouse Road and tries to turn in right during rush hour when you aren't allowed to and it's significantly slowing down traffic, it's okay for me to tut, point at the sign or even beep. I mean, I'm justified. When the service in a restaurant or coffee shop has been slow or unfriendly or poor, it's okay that I tip lower or not at all. I mean, I'm justified. When someone hurts my feelings with a judgment or a comment or behavior, it's okay that I get annoyed, maybe even strike back, because I'm justified. Captain, justify. Hopefully that is not your superpower, but maybe it is. Or maybe yours is Captain, defensive. Or Captain, maybe you're even cleverer and you disguise it with captain justice or captain wisdom but reactive living or getting drawn into a power game is not the call on our lives jesus calls us to a different perspective and i can't help but wondering if the first part is about reminding us who we are called to be who we are The first section is about walking tall in your skin, your skin, not thinking less of yourself, not thinking less of anyone else, but walking tall, walking with dignity. So when someone slaps your cheek, you turn your face. So this isn't a slap of patronage, but of equals. This engagement is between two humans with the same amount of dignity. We each have the same amount of dignity. We each have the same amount of dignity. The walking an extra mile isn't some smug, you want one mile, I'll give you two. It's about dignity and patience. Israel was then under Roman occupation and a Roman soldier could legally constrain any non-Roman to carry his supplies for one mile. When Christ speaks of going two miles, he's talking about voluntarily going beyond the requirement of the Roman law. Yet Christ does not say as many miles as someone wants. So we encourage us to offer generosity, but with reasonable boundaries. This is not dormant theology, doormat theology. This is a call to dignity and patience with each other. Give space for reconciliation. Give time for a problem to solve. Give time to a relationship. Connecting in with what it said earlier in verse 25, um, where it says, uh, you're out in the street and an old enemy accosts you. Don't lose a minute. Make the first move. Make things right with him. There is much within these verses in Matthew 5 
that I can't tackle with depth today. So remember, this is a call to dignity. Dignity for you and dignity for others. Value the life you have. Value the life that you are. This manifesto of Jesus is calling us to a different perspective. And recognize that much of the problem stems with how we see ourselves and how we buy into everyone else's description of us. And the one voice that should be louder than others is quietened, the voice of the creator. And he bestows on us life. He bestows on us dignity. Job, family, money, self-criticism, anxiety, hurt, friends, boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands, wives, they might chip away at this. So Jesus calls us back. Their creator knows who we are. Can I say I'm not being glib about this or trite about the influences of these things or trying to simplify the incredible journey that you're on, the twists and the turns, but, but I want to and need to hear the words of my creator. I need to see myself with dignity. I need to see those around me with dignity. Whether I am the slapper or the slappy, I need others to fight with me, to remind me who I am. Can we do this? When I slap, turn the cheek to remind me who I am called to be. When I ask for one one mile, walk with me too to remind me who I am called to be. When you slap, may I have the courage to react as an equal. When you ask for one mile, may I have the courage to say, I will give you two, just two. We have privatized our faith to such an extent that we play at community, we use the words, we pay lip service to their meaning. But will you help me live this life for Jesus? Can I help you live this life for Jesus? What might happen if we did? Wow. Wow. Remember the questions at the start. What value do you place on yourself and other people? Will you chew that over? And so with the backdrop of dignity painted, the call set, the perspective clear, we move to part two. And Jesus speaks to us about our enemies and says, love your enemies. You've heard, in the words of Jesus, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We're living in specific times and each generation, each generation will say times are changing. And in the times that we live, I think we're getting drawn into ghettos and we're living in more divisive times than previous generations. Not necessarily more conflict, but more division. Let me explain. I wonder sometimes if we find ourselves surrounded by like-minded thinkers more and more. And actually, I wonder if it's becoming harder to think differently. To think differently than your friends, to think differently at all. We're living in times when following Jesus is not the norm. It's not society's center. The church has taken a battering over recent decades, sadly of which, sadly of which some of it, it deserved. But if we're serious about following Jesus, and we are, then we're serious about how he thinks and how he lives. And so we find ourselves drawn into thinking differently about the world. And today I can't help but wonder if thinking differently is being translated as intolerant or ignorant. 
You know what I mean. You've been in conversations around politics in Northern Ireland or around a whole variety of attitudes to abortion. Are we handling thinking differently well? Do you find yourself stopping saying something when you are in certain grippings? Do you find that you can't even voice a question or a wonder or a doubt? And I see this happening globally as we retreat into supposedly safe spaces. I think this ghetto thinking and living is creating more walls today in a city that has had enough. So in these times when we retreat to safe spaces, when we're facing social divisions and maybe even ignoring differences, when we are safe in a way that the past hasn't allowed for, who is my enemy? Who is your enemy? So love your enemies. What does that mean today? Who is your enemy? This is a question I'd love you to ponder. Who is your enemy? Would it be easier if I asked who do you hate or what do you hate? Would the answer come more readily? But a hate is a strong reality. This isn't falling out with your bestie or an argument with the driver in front. Or as I noticed yesterday, one man in the park taking a woman to task for not having her aggressive dog on a lead. And we are the kings and queens of takedown in Northern Ireland. We're born with the ability for for that sarcastic one-liner. And then let's add Twitter and Facebook into the mix and takedowns have a whole new energy. But hate is a big word. And how does it help us consider how we react to our enemies? And so maybe to help us explore this, I've been thinking, maybe the question to think about is actually, what do you fear? You know, I don't know if hatred is the emotion to worry about I wonder if fear is. I wonder if Jesus is asking us to acknowledge the power of fear. The power that fear can have in our lives. And I wonder, is this the reason he's calling us to love? I'd love you to consider the opposite of love being fear, not hate. Because what's behind the hate? Behind the enemy, could it be fear? And as we consider this backdrop of dignity, could the erosion of dignity be fear? Fear expressed through power, through dominance, through retreat, through self-deprecation. What do you fear? What do you fear? In the core of you, what are your fears? And are you willing for the manifesto of Jesus to speak to them? Are you willing for the person of Jesus to speak to them? When I was a kid, I had this repetitive dream. I can see it really clearly. I was standing behind a really leafy, tall hedge, tall, leafy hedge, and in the hedge was a gap, an opening, a kind of walkway. And I was trying to hide out of sight because there was a small plane behind the hedge, propellers going, doors open, steps out, and they wanted to put me on that plane. I do not know what that dream was about. I didn't wake screaming. But I do remember the dream. Again and again as a kid, I had that dream. For some of us, our fears are not dreams. They are reality. And we have lived them or we are living them. And I say gently, acknowledge your fears. Consider your fears. Are they influencing how you love? Are they influencing how you hate? 
Are they causing you to categorize people or issues or places into the enemy? And how might the call of Jesus address that? What do you fear? Loneliness, insignificance, failure. How is your fear translating into how you live and interact with family, friends, at work, with society? In Northern Ireland, it sometimes feels like hating your enemies has become part of our culture. And there's a real danger of becoming part of our DNA. We might have moved on from, or supposedly moved on from hating the other, um, whether that was putting people into supposed communities, Catholic or Protestant. We might have moved on now to class divides or to those who think differently from you. Do we make jokes about other parts of the world or be categorizing all the time? Yet we have a manifesto call in our lives to live differently. And let's be honest, we haven't done it very well here in Northern Ireland. But God knows we mess up. And this isn't a manifesto for the perfect, it's a manifesto for the mess. Want to know more about the love that he's calling you to? This is not an isolated passage. You know 1 Corinthians 13 where it says love is patient. Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. How might I handle fear? How might I handle my enemies? And this is tough stuff. Your enemy isn't talking about some disagreement with a family member. It's not talking about some personality clash with a work colleague. Your your enemy is talking about hostility, opposition, and fear. And in this situation, God calls us to love. A love that always hopes, always perseveres. So I pull us back to the start to stand under this banner of the Creator. You are a person of value, a person of dignity, This part of the manifesto is about dignity and love. So you can look each other in the eye. They can look you in the eye. This manifesto is painting a picture of life, of courage towards yourself and towards others. It's pushing to the depths of humanity in how we see ourselves and exposing some of the underlying factors in our lives. I want to close with my favourite children's story. And you may well have heard me tell this before, and no doubt I will tell it again. Because like all good children's stories, the significance is in the repetition. And I heard this story, not, first not as a child, but as an adult in my early 20s, and it profoundly impacted me and continues to do so. Because for me, it paints a picture of a relationship that is beautiful and generous, And it paints a picture of the beauty and generosity of Jesus. So let me tell you the story. And ask you to consider yourself the boy in this story. And Jesus as the tree. And as we get towards the end, consider where are you living and operating? What part of the story illustrates you right now? What part of the story illustrates our times right now? Our society, our city. And maybe allow the manifesto of Jesus 
start calling us to more. The story is called The Boy and the Tree. Once upon a time, like all good stories start, once upon a time there was a tree and she loved a boy and the boy loved the tree. And every day he would climb up her trunk, trunk, swing from her branches and eat her apples. When he was tired, he would lie in her shade. When he was active, they would play hide and seek. One day, the boy carved in the trunk of the tree, I love thee. And that made the tree very happy. But then, for some reason, the boy stayed away two weeks. When he came back, the tree was so happy, she shook with joy. She said, come boy, climb up my trunk, swing from my branches, eat my apples and be happy. The boy said, in the last two days, I have found out what real fun is. Like, so I need money. Have you got some money? I, I have no money, said the tree, but pluck, pluck all my apples, sell them in the city, be happy, get money and be happy. So the boy plucked all her apples and he went away and the tree was happy. Now the boy stayed away for a month. When he came back, the tree was so happy she could hardly speak. She said, come boy, climb up my trunk, swing from my apples, swing from my branches. Life is a lot more serious than fun and games, said the boy. I want to get married, I want to settle down, I want to have a family, so I need a house. Can you give me a house? The forest is my house, said the tree, but cut down my branches, boy, and build a house. The boy cut down all her branches, went away, and the tree was happy, but not really. A year passed. Finally, the boy returned. The tree said, come boy, climb up my trunk and be happy. Oh, I'm bored. I'm disgusted with life. I just I want to get away to a foreign country, so I need to get a boat. Can you give me a boat? Cut down my trunk and build a boat, said the tree. The boy cut down her trunk and sailed away. Forty years later, when the boy returned, the tree looked up and said, but I have no apples, there is nothing to eat. My teeth are too weak to chew, said the boy. I have no branches, you can swing. I'm too tired to swing. I have no trunk for you to climb. I'm too tired to climb. I'm sorry, said the tree, I have nothing to give you. Oh, I don't need very much anymore, said the boy. Just a quiet place to sit and rest. Then the tree straightened herself up as majestically as she could. Well, she said, well, an old stump is good for something. Come, boy, sit and rest. And the boy did, and the tree was happy. I said at the start I wanted to unpack this a little this morning. And I use the words a little because 30 minutes cannot do justice to the explosive nature of this. I said I wanted to throw out a few seeds and ask that you to consider them, to prayerfully engage with my words this evening as I speak, to prayerfully respond and then talk about it on your way home, over Sunday night supper, chew over these words of Jesus and take some little steps of courage in the days, weeks and months ahead. So will you consider these thoughts? Will you consider these words of Jesus? 
I think this manifesto of Jesus is calling us to dignity and love in how we see ourselves and how we see the world around us. So will you chew over these two questions as we try, and we've got to try, to live out this manifesto of Jesus? Two questions. What value do you place on yourself and other people? And second question, what do you fear?